All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, Adelics? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. What's happening? How's it going? Where are we at? Today on the show, uh, uh, my friend Sarah Tiana is here. She's a, a comic. I see her all the time, like every week, uh, at least once a week at the Comedy Store. She was a regular on Chelsea Lately and Lights Out on Comedy Central. And her new special uh, called 44 is on YouTube. And it was just one of those things, you know, I'd, I'm like, why hasn't she been on? I'm always seeing her. And I'm, I, I was like, well, you should be on. So today she's on. And we had a nice conversation. Uh, another thing, uh, people in L.A., or if you're traveling to L.A., I'm at Dynasty Typewriter on the 18th and 25th, both Tuesday nights. And I'm back at Largo on Thursday, July 27th. I'll be at the Salt Lake City Wise Guys on August 11th and 12th for four shows. Then I'm at the Las Vegas Wise Guys on September 22nd and 23rd. You can go to WTFPod.com for tickets. Also, there are new Brian Jones cap mugs available to purchase starting today at noon Eastern. These are the same mugs Brian makes for me to give out to my guests. And these new ones have a brand new design of Charlie Beans with art from our friend Dima. The new mugs are available today at noon Eastern at WTFMugs.co. So what's up? I did I did uh, Dynasty Typewriter on Tuesday night, and I'm I'm going into a direction that that seems relevant. It almost seems like the last frontier for me in terms of what I want to talk about, and it's personal and it's trauma based, and I've decided somewhere in my mind that almost all of our cultural problems are personal trauma based, and what people do with that, how they decide to. Uh, to sort of live in it, uh, move around it, uh, act against it. I, I don't know, but I'm digging deep and it's happening. And I can't help, and sometimes I feel this here, but certainly when I do these longer sets to sort of move towards the bigger sets, uh, you know, I feel exposed when I get off stage. I feel vulnerable. And I don't always know why I put what I put out there out there. And I think it's for me, on some level, but it's also to connect with people, but it gets more and more specific. You know, obviously in the last special, I talked about some cultural stuff. So there's plenty of like-minded people who, who uh, think the way I do. And then I talked about grief and everybody has had to deal with that. And then I talked about myself, which kind of uh, closes the lens a little bit. Not everyone's living the life I live. And certainly there are limits to what my experiences are in relation to people who have different lives than me. So what am I getting at? Well, what am I looking for? You know, I've spent, uh, I spend a lot of time these days looking back at my life uh, and, and it's not nostalgia because there was never a time before this where I thought, man, that was the best time of my life. I think I'm having the best time of my life now. And that's true. And it's, it's good. And I'm grateful for it. But, you know, I watch... Last few nights, I sit around, I watch old clips of Don Rickles on Johnny Carson. I watch uh, old clips of Rodney Dangerfield. And I loved these guys. And I saw who they were in their character, in their act. I understood that we they were doing jokes, at least Rodney was. But, uh, you know, whatever that template of character that was just 
just above the surface and he used to deliver jokes underneath that was, you know, a completely depressive, miserable man. And Don, you know, I watch him and, you know, he's not so much hinging on jokes, just on timing and, 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 uh, a style, but you know, he's an angry fuck. There's no way he's not an angry fuck. I mean, you know, he really you know, pushes the edge, not just culturally, but with whoever he's talking to. I mean, it took years for, I, I imagine, you know, people just take it from him, but sometimes it got pretty uncomfortable. But nonetheless, these guys were big acts in a specific type of show business, playing Vegas, playing, uh, you know, these, these, these type of venues that were common, dinner clubs, uh, you know, some comedy clubs, but mostly I think the trajectory was you get on TV, you do Vegas. Now, I couldn't think of a more miserable place for me to be than in a casino theater doing Vegas. I don't believe that my people would come, but nonetheless, there's part of me that thinks like, well, why not? Why am I not that kind of act? It's just not what I got into it for. And, and there's times where I think like, well, what did I get into it for? What am I doing? What am I trying to do up there? You know, what do I do? You look, I have an audience. I'm grateful for you. You know, I can earn a living doing stand-up comedy. I'm grateful for that. I do believe I'm unique. And as we've talked about before, I might be entering my he's a character phase of my life. But there's something I can't reconcile sometimes. Here, I, let me, the the nominees uh, for for comedy special, or uh, the I guess the category is outstanding variety special pre-recorded for this year's Emmy Awards are Carol Burnett, 90 Years of Laughter and Love on NBC. John Mulaney, Baby J, Netflix. Lizzo, Live in Concert, HBO Max. Norman Lear, 100 Years of Music and Laughter on ABC. Trevor Noah, I Wish You Would on Netflix. And Wanda Sykes, I'm an Entertainer on Netflix. I'm not on that list. I'm never on that list. And I do believe I've been doing my best work in the last few specials. And I do always want to get an Emmy nomination. And I do, you know, I put effort into it uh, as much as I, I can or know how to do. Get myself out there, get a little publicity going. But I, I don't win things. And every time I don't get nominated, like I'm used to it. I, you know, half of me didn't expect it. You know, I knew Mulaney would get nominated just because he gets nominated. I don't... But there's no way for me not to to judge myself harshly, even though I know I'm doing the best work I'm capable of doing. And I don't know really why that is. Does it matter? Does it, you know, who votes for these things? You think it's your peers? Why do I want a, 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 a trophy? I don't know, because I've been working hard at this thing for a long time. And granted, a lot of other people have too. But there is some weird thing where it's like, no matter how much success I have, that I'm, I, when this thing happens, I'm like, well, what the fuck? I mean, what do I got to do? And like, I can't do anything else. And what difference does it make? And I don't, so I have to track it. You know, I have to track it in my head. What do I do up there? And I just did an hour and a half at Largo last night about very personal stuff. And it was very rewarding. And I found the funny and I found some callbacks that are going to work. And I, and I think it resonates and it is, it, it is slightly uncomfortable what I do for me and the audience sometimes, but the laughs are there. It's solid. I am a professional, 
but there's some part of me that wants to be in this this zone of of professional comics that you know, are always you know like one of the guys and then then that's really what it breaks down to that's really what it comes down to is that you know in my life when i was younger i was never a cool guy you know i was never like you know one of the cool guys and and i you know i'm not the guy that people think like you know what what could make this party better let's invite mark what, what let's what, hey you know what you know what would make this whatever really good if, is if Marin were here. Now, look, I you know, again, maybe I'm just, I'm not feeling sorry for myself. Maybe I'm beating the shit out of myself, but this is my life. I'm 59 years old. I'm not, you know, I'm not in the dark about this stuff. But really, when I think back about who I was in high school, you know, I, I was awkward. I was trying too hard. I was needy. You know, I, I had, you know, I was funny, but yeah, you know, I made, I was intense. I made people uncomfortable. I couldn't, I really didn't have a handle on my emotional grounding or, or who I was in the world, but who does in high school, but nonetheless, you know, I had to try very hard to do all those things. And I, and I was, you know, terribly, you know, insecure and, and, you know, totally uncomfortable, never cool. And I don't know that I'm cool now. Maybe I am, but I'm a character. I'm old. I think I might be a cool old character to a degree. But there's some part of me that every time I do not get an award or nominated or the recognition that that I crave, which is, I don't know what, I've got a great audience. You guys are out there. They, people come to my shows. I don't know what it would take. The bottom line is whatever I need in that area in terms of like you did good, you know, where I'm proud of you. You know, I didn't get that. When I was a kid, and I'm certainly not going to get it now, and I've transferred it on to other shit. So I guess what I'm saying <laughs> is I, I, I'm, I'm happy with my life. But anytime, every time this happens, when I do this work, and I, and I think it demands and deserves to be honored in a way, that there's this other thing. You know, I, first of all, I, I, I have that feeling of like, well, am I deluding myself? And secondly, it's like, why am I not one of the cool guys? Am I ever going to be fucking cool? So needless to say, I have to manage these, this, you know, bruised ego and these immature feelings uh, moving forward right now. But, uh, but I'm okay. Thank you. Thank you for your concern. I know it seems trite. It seems dumb. It's not even that important. You, you know, I mean, show business is, is barely what it used to be. And everybody sort of has their own show business. I'm, I'm having my own show business right now. But there is something about being welcomed and, and honored in, in regular showbiz that I grew up with, you know? I grew up with like, hey, look, that guy won an award. I like that guy. Yeah, I love that guy. He does good. He won the prize. And I don't know what I expect, man. You know, I know I did good work, but there's part of me. It's like, why isn't everybody reaching out to me to, you know, to tell me what an amazing thing I did? And the weird thing is they did. So many of my peers, so many of you, you know, they did. What the fuck is it about a goddamn statue? What is it? I gotta, I, I've got to reconfigure my brain. You know? It's just like, a, it, it was, 
it was like doing, you know, the first, like I, you know, I, I was the last to get on Letterman, you know, and everybody was getting on Letterman. All you wanted to do back in the day was get on Letterman. You know, that was the prize. That was what we were working for. That, that was what, you know, validated you in the business when I was coming up. And when I did my first Letterman, it was amazing, an amazing feeling. And I'll never forget it. It, it made me feel validated and I fucking nailed it. I made choices. All right, the suit wasn't great, but I was almost channeling all of my heroes. My jokes were tight. My style was tight, almost n- not even like me. It was almost a different person. Like I became television. I can feel it now. And that's not nothing. And maybe that's all I want. And I don't think it's a lot to ask for is to have that feeling to say like, thank you for this winged lady holding the world. Thank you. I'll remember this. I'll put it on my shelf. There are guys I know that have won tons of the things. It's just part of the game. But when I don't win any of it, I feel like, am I even on the field? I want to be a cool guy with a statue. But I do remember, I do remember the moments and I do remember the horrible times, horrible times as a standup, far outnumber the great moments. But I do remember the great moments and some of them happened last night when I was doing my show at Dynasty Typewriter, exploring, riffing, finding callbacks, bringing things back around, lucidity, stream of consciousness, moving through stuff in a symbiotic relationship with an audience of you know, 150 people doing a show that will never happen again. And hopefully moving into these new areas of material that, that I find rewarding and, and challenging to, to sort of ride that line. I like to ride between, you know, vulnerability, sadness, and, you know, common experience. So last night was equally as amazing as my first Letterman appearance in a way. And I've got to remember that it's always really about the work for, I think, whatever you do. And I've got to remember that, you know, I've never done the type of work I'm doing now. And I've worked a long time to do it. And it, it means something to me. And I, and, I, and I think I just have to temper that part of me that believes that it should mean something to the entire world. And how I would even know that, I don't know. But I'm pretty sure it doesn't necessarily, maybe on a small level, you know, one person, you know, it's a butterfly effect. But I have to keep that in mind, that last night, for several chunks of of minutes, I felt the transcendence and connection and revelation of creation within the form that I've chosen and that is the best. That is the award where things come to you from out of nowhere and fall into place. And there's discovery for me simultaneously with a, a live audience. That's the way I like to do it. Thank you for my prize. You guys are my prize. I hope you're doing well. And now, again, I'm about to talk to Sarah Tiana, who I've known a very long time, who's very funny. And uh, her new comedy special, 
44 is now available on YouTube. It was taped in the main room at the Comedy Store. You can find more Sarah at SarahTiana.com. And this is uh, me getting to know Sarah for the first time after, God, how long has it been? Long time. Years. So what, how was uh, how was Disneyland? Disneyland was actually <laughs> magical. I mean, it's the first time I've ever had an incredibly beautiful time there. Is it the first time you've been with a child? It's the first time I've been with my child. That's what I mean. I I took. Uh, you just grab other kids and bring them sometimes. No. <laughs> I, I had gone to Disneyland a lot as an adult with an adult friend, which always felt weird, but he was a real theme park aficionado, so he knew a lot of history about the parks. He was a, he was a, he was a theme park nerd? <laughs> he was a theme park nerd, yeah. So I, I randomly know way more about Knott's Berry yeah. Farm than I know, and I have a connection to Knott's because my great-great-uncle got married at Mrs. Knott's Chicken Dinner, which was how the park started, was as a, a little restaurant. Wait, is this like deep family lore? <laughs> Like, oh, this was like the, it was just the nicest was, restaurant in Orange County at the time. But this story was passed down to you. No, he like, told me. Oh, you, oh, your yeah, uncle. yeah. Right. My great great uncle when I moved to LA. He was around, and he told you. He was in his late eighties, yeah. and wow. I lived with him in Huntington Beach when I first moved yeah. here. So I had family and knew yeah. somebody, and then uh, yeah, he always talked about Mrs. Knott's chicken dinner. Just great. It, <laughs> so it was, is. Was this information you were able to give? <laughs> Your theme park nerd that he didn't know. Um, yeah, I mean, he he felt more maybe more of a connection, you oh, know. Good. But you know, Mister Knotts yeah. was well revered by Walt Disney. He he taught Walt Disney everything. Oh, so Knotts Berry Farms existed pre-existed Disney. Yes. So oh, so he gave him the inside line how to run the, this theme park racket. Yeah. Kind of. He taught him how to hide the line. You know, when you walk onto a ride and you go, oh, there's not a line. Let's go on this one. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you get into some tunnel. Oh, yeah. And you're in some (laughs) maze and you're like, oh, wow. That's half the ride. Yeah. (laughs) Half the the ride (laughs) is waiting. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mike Binder used to do a joke when he was a kid that was so funny. He he used to act out this thing like a a day at Disneyland. (laughs) And it was just him stepping forward. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I remember seeing him on TV when I was a kid. So, how old's your kid? Three. So, like, what? So that made it better. It made it much better because he was genuinely excited, and he knows nothing about Disneyland. Yeah. He doesn't watch Mickey Mouse. Yeah. He doesn't watch any of that kind of stuff. He just watches videos of race cars. Yeah. On YouTube. That's, That's all his, he does. He loves race cars and baseball. What is that? Because of your husband or no, you? No, it, it, it happened organically. Well, I just, mean, you are putting it in front of him. You're choosing. I guess, but he just came out like the first time he saw a truck in a book. <laughs> it was like truck. He just, you know. Then he would point them out. It wasn't yeah. me putting trucks in front of him. It was just, so in, just in a like, book. It was inherent. That's wild. You know, when they're all boy, they're all boy. Yeah, it is very bizarre. Have you talked to other people with boys. I mean, I know that it's sort of a thing. Trucks. Sometimes, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, I had a, I had some friends in New York, mm. and they wouldn't show their daughter any. Disney princess stuff. Yeah. But one day she put on a dress and just started twirling around. Oh, but don't you think she must have got it at school or something? You think, but I don't think she was old enough to be in school yet. That's wild. And so it's very bizarre when they are just born, you know, assert. I think it's it's proof that you're born the way you are. I 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've uh, somehow managed to get out of this life without children. <laughs> I know. But, but then nurture takes over, and I do nurture that yeah. interest. You sure. know, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the you kid like, likes trucks. Here's a truck. Yeah, right. We point out different kinds of trucks. So at Disneyland, though, like he was genuinely excited, genuinely like, just what? enamored by everything, really? the characters, and I mean, obviously the food. Uh, Did he know the, the characters at all yet? No, he knew Mickey and Minnie. He's yeah. seen them before, yeah. right? But that was pretty much it. Is it, it's wild because like I haven't been to the park in the uh, in a while. I I think I dated a woman who had a Disney thing, a mild one, but I went mm-hmm. down there. But some of the stuff is so old, but because they keep it so clean, <laughs> it doesn't feel like some shitty roadside attraction. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yes. some of the stuff is so dated, but it's like they really the upkeep is so intense <laughs> that you know it does. It's sort of timeless in that way. It is interesting to go back because it's probably been ten years since I've been yeah. to Disneyland. But to With go the back. Guy. Yeah, the nerd. yes, with the nerd. Yeah, uh, to go back with a child and then to see all the changes that they've made post COVID awakenings. Oh, you know, oh, oh post uh, uh, woke. Not, yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, I'm not saying that they what they did. You know, the the woke they, movement is wrong. I'm not. I'm just saying. No, I get it. But I, I, what are they? What are know, they adjusting? Like on the Jungle Cruise, they are. Oh, so you mean racist stuff? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> or it's a small world looks different, and the Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> is not men chasing women. Yeah. In their underwear now, it's women chasing men with a uh, with yeah. a rolling yeah. pin. It's funny because I don't think that those are necessarily woke. I think those are just reasonable histo- yes, historical completely. corrections. Yes, reasonably historical <laughs> corrections. <laughs> yeah, you are absolutely right. But it's just. But you they know, did it, huh? They did it. So, well, how has it changed? It's a small world. I mean, are the outfits still there, or what? Did the they outfits will. Ch- they still got rid there. of the, the slanty eyes, or what? Um, no, they did not do that. Uh, but. <laughs> You know, it's not just uh, uh-huh. like it, maybe it's colors. So like you know, like Egyptians or oh, you they know, made the tones better. Or yeah, they just you know made made them more um, diverse, diverse and oh. realistic. You know, and they, there's no crazy uh, 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 rapist pirates anymore. Right, the pirates I think was the biggest one, and then the <laughs> the guys on the uh, what's that pole called that. Uh, you know, with the Mayan heads. Um, a totem pole? Yes. Okay. It used to just be like uh, black African men being chased oh. up the pole, and now it's a variety of people being chased it's up. All the, they're all they're the people, nature explorers. No, all the people from It's a Small World are now <laughs> yes. on the pole. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they grew them up and put them on the pole. Yes, yes. So. I can't even remember what those rides <laughs> I just remember being, the, the couple of times I was there that – even when I was a kid, and as I got older, I had the same reaction that, like, Futureland had no appeal. Yeah, <laughs> you're just like, <laughs> what? what is that? We're Tomorrowland. Yeah, Tomorrowland. Yes, Tomorrowland. And, and it had that thing where you'd get on the, the train, and then it had that illusion, like, it shrunk you. Like, do you, you know oh, what I mean? I like, remember that one. Like, well, you just see the little the little cars, and then you go into some... A uh, place where it's supposed to be your small. I can't remember. Oh, sure. That yeah. was before the Autopia ride. There oh. was, uh, those were the future car, the realistically future cars made right. by Honda. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, so that they don't still, fly. So that exists. Tomorrowland still. Tomorrowland or, still exists. So did they update that? Because we're kind of living. Like yeah. that's the one that would that that's not going to age well. Well, it was, was like an old sci-fi movie. It was very interesting to see the um, submarine ride. You know, oh, now, I used to like that one. Yeah, that yeah. was uh, that used to be Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. I but, heard there's four people stuck on it. Right yeah. now. <laughs> that's what I 
again. It was just like. <laughs> but the fucking thing is, is that like, it seems like the there's more upkeep to the submarine in Disneyland than the one that these guys got on. <laughs> oh, those are way more regulated and safety. But it's fucking insane. It's just because you have money, you're going to get. It's like, it's it's the equivalent. It's the wealthy equivalent of being at a traveling carnival with mm-hmm. a midway mm-hmm. with the, with the <laughs> yeah. guy with the tattoo on his face running the roller coaster like yeah, i guess it'll be all right yeah, yeah. rolling the dice <laughs> right i it is crazy fascinating what rich people need to do to still feel a rush yeah i was talking about that with my girlfriend last night it, it feels like a rich premise for me because like right. i've got a little money saved mm-hmm. but like i don't do anything with it because I can't think what to do. Right. Like, you know, Dean talked me into getting this fucking watch. Oh, great. And, and then I'm sort of like, what's well, nice? But, like, I wouldn't have never done it. Right. And also, I got to wind it. Oh, no. I know. You got to put work into a watch? Well, it's just, it's just, you know, at least twice a day, I look at my watch nine times, and I and it takes me that long to realize, like, oh, it's not running. <laughs> it's not like talking about my great uncle, you know, he had all those old jokes, you know, he had a broken clock in his house <laughs> and then they come in, that day. clock's right twice a day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just, I feel, you know, I, I feel the same way about Tom Cruise where you just go like, he wants to die doing a stunt, right? Yeah. Clearly, yeah. this guy has everything he could ever possibly want. So he just needs the thrill-seeking adventurer part. Those are the that yeah. parts of his of his psyche that are untapped. Yeah. I want to jump from a plane. I want to I want to actually fly this plane in top yeah. ten. Yeah. It's like, yeah, and apparently Bob Dylan wants to die in a bus. <laughs> Is that true? Why? What's going he's on? He's just always with Bob on the road. D- oh. It's like, you know, he's like 80s of these, sort of like, you know, all right, well, that's the way you want to go. Has he retired a no, lot? No, like you two was always like no. the last tour. No, I don't think Bob Dylan ever even paid any lip service to retiring. I think that every album he puts out now, you sort of like, well, that was it. You know, <laughs> it sounds like he's about done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, I so feel like he's. What did yeah. the kid get excited about the most? Did you go on the haunted house? Yeah, kid? we went to no problem with that. No problem. Does He's not afraid ghost, of anything. Nothing. No. Does the ghost still sit with you at the end? It it, it did not. It's huh? supposed to, and I think that part must have been broken. It oh stopped my a god! Times. How long did you have to wait for the broken ending? Well, you know what? It is crazy. Is now they have this part. There's a Disneyland app that tells you all the wait times for every ride, mm. so you can kind of plan accordingly. And then they have the thing. It sounds like I'm doing a promotion for it, but they yeah. have this thing called Disney Genie Plus. So it's $30 per ticket. Yeah. And additional. Additional yeah. per ticket. But it makes lets you make a reservation on one ride at a time. So yeah. we never waited more than uh, five minutes on a ride. Really? To get on a ride. And you went during the week or what? We went yesterday, on, which was what, a Wednesday? Yeah, was it crowded? It was not. I mean, it was crowded. Yeah, you but know, not but, bad. You know, I mean, the the biggest rides, Star Wars and Space Mountain, had yeah. over hour waits, Space but you Mountain. can make an appointment. It's, that, it's only like two minutes, right? You get on, it's like two minutes. Every ride is, is two the, minutes. Yeah, is the Matterhorn still the thing? The Matterhorn, yeah. But in there. my recollection, they're not that thrilling, the roller coasters at Disneyland, are they? 
No, I mean, I don't. I mean, they're they're made for children, uh-huh. so they're not that oh, that's thrilling. Right. They're not high. I remember who I went with. It was my my second wife because she was a roller coaster freak, and we went to the grown up Disneyland across the street, California Adventure. Yes, yeah, and that has she, better rides. She made me go on that roller coaster. Yeah, but Knott's Berry Farm, I think, has the best of everything. Is that true? Because it has the kitschiness of Disneyland, like the cute, like yeah. different towns, yeah. and then but the rides of Six Flags. Where, where is Knott's Berry Farm? It's right down the road. It's in Anaheim as well. Oh, it's still it's right there. Yeah. What's that one out in the desert that, that looks like no one's ever there? Like that Six Flags? Isn't there, there a Six Flags? There is a out? Six Flags up in Santa Clarita. Yeah. Is that the desert? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> is that to you because yeah. it's thirty miles outside of LA? You're well, like, just, I don't it's, know. but it's thirty miles east. So <laughs> no one it, lives there. It seems to get a little deserty it's out north. there. North. Is it north? Yes. Huh. Yeah, but I just remember driving by it because they always shoot shit out there. Yeah, they you know they oh, oh yeah. yeah they used to shoot CSI up there yeah. Disney Ranch is up there yeah and I just remember driving by it every time I drive by it I'm like is that ever open mm-hmm. it never looks like there's anyone there it's definitely open because uh, you know people those rides there's always something that happens once a year on one of those rides <laughs> Six Flags yeah and Knott's Berry Farm too they had the the <laughs> swings ride that was super high it mm. still is and people were trapped up there because of the Santa Ana winds just once. dangling. For eight hours. <laughs> Can you imagine? Hey, look, anything's better than being in a submarine next to the Titanic. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh. Were you into the Titanic? Were you into? Are you into that kind of historical disaster? I don't stuff? know. Like I like I I love seeing the pictures, but you know what? Mm-hmm. I was satisfied with them. <laughs> you know <laughs> the pictures. Yeah, it was great. And some of the video footage, like that's cool. There yeah. was no part of me that's like, wow, man, I want to get in there. Yeah, I wonder if there'll be any conspiracy theories that get. Yeah, I think there already are of some kind. <laughs> That's some... always fascinating to <laughs> yeah. me when people. Yeah, somehow it had something to do with the Jews. That's it. <laughs> There's always, you know, I feel like <laughs> they're, they're, they're responsible in some way. Sure, the 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 great puppeteers, <laughs> my people. So, wait, like, so I I didn't realize that. Also, I I, I don't always do this, but you you might want to update your. Uh, website, unless <laughs> yeah. uh, unless your husband is okay with you saying you don't consider yourself single. Uh, oh, really? Does it still say that? Oh, my God. On my bio? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> what, yeah, what? I definitely need to update that then. <laughs> I thought I did. Well, uh, maybe you missed but I'm that not one. married. You're We're not. not married. Oh, but what is the joke? It was a joke, right? You don't say you're single. You say you're... Uh, sexually so. active. <laughs> That was a joke from when I was 30. That's 15-year-old joke. <laughs> wasn't even that good back then. It's but, even worse today. But I read it. I'm like, whoa, what happened? What is she? God, what is... you know, I really went through that phase of thinking that as a female comic, I was supposed to talk about that kind of, like, sex. And I guess at the time, I was probably having it way more than I, yeah. you know. But I then I went through, then I realized I should just talk, be honest and tell talk about what I'm not doing. And now. I'm a prude. Yeah. You know, no, that probably about yeah. by the time I was about 35. Yeah. It was just more like, okay, you know, this <laughs> is who I am really. Oh, I see. I'm so like a you... southern prude. I, I, yeah. You know, I'm, and that's I was who pretty you are? selective. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, that's interesting at the beginning because I mean, I think don't, we don't, every, I mean, I don't talk about sex at all anymore, but I certainly went through periods where I did. Yeah. I mean, a lot. When I was having it more often. Yeah. You know, I think I, I hear a lot of people still talking about sex. Yeah, no, I think yeah. a lot of people do. Yeah. I mean, you should, you, you, I only, 
I stopped pretending like I was talking about things that I wasn't really doing. I was sure. acting oh, like I was oh, yeah, having yeah. more sex right, than I right, was right. or it that was, I was like some sort of a whore. Right. Because I thought that's what. Oh, you did the whore angle. I went the whore angle. <laughs> and then, yeah, for a couple of years and then slowly got out of it because it just I always felt like I was lying and it wasn't landing probably because I knew I was lying. Yeah. And then when I started talking about it more realistically, real stories. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then people. Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing how it takes you so long to realize that, that honesty is what makes people laugh. But I really want to go out and do stand up when I have new stuff to talk about when I have something on my mind. Yeah. Well, that's, you got to wait for that, Yeah. you know, and that's why, you know, having a a life with people in it, (laughs) Your, your odds of getting new stuff to talk about are a little <laughs> higher than, you know, I, I, there's only yeah. so many cat angles I can take. Especially with a little person in your life. You have, it, a, you have a midget in your life? Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Well, I keep him around to make my son feel tall. Um, he, uh, uh, yesterday at Disneyland, he, um, I said, you know, our, what do you want to see? And he's like, I want to see the castle because I want to meet the boss. And that made me laugh. And then when we were getting on the Star Wars ride, he looked at the lady next to us and he goes, Mommy, that lady has giant boobs. And I said, oh, God. You know, so then you. And what the lady do? She just turned around and like went somewhere else. <laughs> and then. But I mean, she did. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I mean, like don't, was, don't people like. He wasn't just, lying. I know, but uh, people aren't triggered by children, are they? I mean, that's what children do. I don't think so, but it was still very embarrassing for me. And then you then you have to stop and go like, well, why was that embarrassing for yeah. me? Like, shouldn't have been embarrassing yeah, for yeah. me. I've taught him to be honest. Right. To tell me his how yeah. he's feeling and to use his words. Right. <laughs> But now you got to reel him in a little bit. Now you got to reel him in. <laughs> you know, he's very upset. He's very obsessed with private parts right now and that at that's his not private go away. no 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 i mean you're <laughs> that's, born that's you're born with life. your favorite toy yeah yeah so you're gonna be playing with it for the rest of your life i've i've come to yeah. that conclusion you just gotta tell him that there's a time and place yes apparently so, when i was a, a child around that age uh, my aunt took me to the supermarket and i saw an old asian lady mm-hmm. and i said is that lady human <laughs> no yeah <laughs> Yeah. I was always, always I always fun. had a like uh, I was always funny but like you know it's weird to look back and realize just how unwoke I was at three <laughs> well <laughs> so wait yes. where did you grow up Calhoun Georgia where's that near it's an hour north of Atlanta between Atlanta and Chattanooga where is it in relation to Savannah it's way north. Savannah's on the coast, on the bottom oh. of the state. Now, like what? Near Florida. What did you, and that was the whole childhood there. I was born in Northern California. Really? I was born in Livermore, California. That's like East Bay. Yeah, East Bay. So I still have a bunch of family up there. My mom's whole side is up there. My dad went to San Jose State, but he uh, he's from Michigan, so he was kind of born and raised in Michigan. Where was he running around about? Where is he? Why was he in so many places? Right. Uh, he was dodging the draft. Oh, he was? Yeah. Did he succeed? Yep. Oh. Mm-hmm. But my uncle went in, his brother. Uh, my uncle's now a two-star general. So Really? Yeah. He's still in the game? Well, he re- retired, recently retired two-star general. Now he just plays golf and... Um, a two-star general? Mm-hmm. Do you sense there's any resentment on his part about the uh, the other stars that he could have had? Well, because he was offered the the three star job yeah. in his, in the state, so it's basically after two stars, you either go into politics or you retire. Oh, okay. And he just didn't want to go into politics, so he retired. 
But he's probably all set, right? Yeah, I mean, he lives. He was the commander of the base in Rhode Island yeah. called Quonset uh, on the base, uh, and so you know he ran that base and then was offered the two-star job uh, for the state of Rhode Island and then turned it down. It's very interesting. Like he lives when on the water and oh, he hangs out on the water. He lives. He has a beautiful house in Newport on the water. Oh, that's fancy. Like, it's it's like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. It's so funny though because my brain automatically. Like when you set that up, like your dad dodged a draft, but and then you go, but his brother went. I'm like, no, here comes the sad Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, he didn't <laughs> this die. Is like one no. of the rare sort of uh-huh. like didn't die, didn't come back fucked up. He no. Became a general. Became Stayed a in general. for the army. Air Force. Oh, that's that's even, you know, well, that's kind Fancier. of. Fancier. <laughs> yeah, it's not as rugged. You know, he flew the planes in Vietnam. It, he flew a lot of the weather tracking planes. Oh, weather tracking. Yeah. I like that. So that's like, well, that's not too, too it's bad. It's not too scary. But, you know, I mean, he didn't, he wasn't, uh, I don't think he, I don't know how much yeah. actual combat he right. was a part of. Right. Because um, after uh, Vietnam, he flew for Eastern Airlines for a long commercial time. Commercial pilot? Yeah, became well, a commercial pilot. Oh, well, that's where you got the nice retirement bundle, I bet. He's No, but then Eastern uh, went uh, bankrupt in the 80, early 80s, right. and he went back into the military. <laughs> and then he was, yeah, then he stayed in the Air Force and went into the Air National You can just National do that Guard. if you're of a certain rank? Like, can well, I come back? You always have I... to do, uh, you always have to, I think... For your military pension, stay do like Air National Guard stuff on the weekends, like one oh, weekend a month. Mil- oh, interesting. If you, so a lot of guys stayed in it, you know, for yeah. Because my dad was only hours. He, my dad was only in it for two years, but I don't think he's getting pension. But he gets the VA forever. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I it what made me what always made me laugh is because I I've done shows for the military overseas probably. 13 tours overseas. Yeah. Uh, but state like CONUS, continental United States, I've probably done like six or seven. Yeah. But when you go overseas as a comedian, they have to give you a rank. Yeah. Uh, they give you a civilian rank so that you can get on certain planes and you can stay in certain housing on the base. What's that like a laminate? Like, yeah. <laughs> you get a laminated like card that yeah. says you are ranked. No, it just, they give you a, like a paperwork rank. It says on your paperwork, you yeah. know, you're a GS-14 civilian, right. which is a full bird colonel. And at the time, my uncle was a full bird colonel. <laughs> and so he would get so mad that I would get to stay in the exact same housing as he did and yeah. have all the same yeah. uh, choices and options that he did after, you know, yeah, he went to a, Vietnam and I but, told dick jokes. <laughs> but that's for a week. Yes, it's not, you, you can't it's not at, the at the end of your gig go like, do you mind if I just hang um, out? Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't. I can't do that. I don't know how long you get the rank for. Yeah, but a good it, question. You know, by being around the brass so much, you know, and at, as someone that was genuinely fascinated by, you know, Desert Storm and, and all those um, conflicts, yeah. it was kind of nice to be able to ask a lot of questions to the brass as a civilian because that is also my... What, you mean when you were there? Yeah. But couldn't you have just asked your uncle? Uh, yeah, I could have asked him. And, yeah. you know, he... he um, like what kind of questions? About morale, about purpose, about... Yeah, just like what's that for? How much yeah. does that cost? Not why like, are we why taking are we oil here? there? Oh, right. Oh, that You one. know, like... And then, you know, I asked a lot of questions about the oil because that was also a big question. And I think you assume when you go over there, like, oh, they're just watching Fox News on the TV. But they would have, they had, you know, Jon Stewart Daily Show on constantly on like the cafeteria televisions. And so. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I, I imagine you can't really, you know, ask the the general, like, there's no WMDs, right? It's all bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, but I remember, well, the first time I was there, Saddam yeah. Hussein was still alive. We uh, had just captured him. Yeah. And so I kept asking where Found he him was. in the hole. Yeah, with all, with American money. Sure. That was just so crazy after all the buildup of mm-hmm. who that guy was and his kids were killed in the palaces. He's just like this bearded weirdo in a fucking hole. Mm-hmm. It's pretty intense. Dirty, too, because he had made all those rules. And then they you know? just they hung him, right? Yeah. They just hung him in some, like, weird garage. I, did, I remember mm-hmm. the, it just... Mm-hmm. It was, it, that was fucking gnarly time. Yeah. Uh, it was a I gnarly time. It. Because it was also... Oh, yeah, because... The, there was so much bombing and at that particular tour. That was my very first one. And when there, you went over there? Yeah, 2005. Like, oh, really? So, like, what, you mean you felt like you could feel that you were in a dangerous situation? Oh, constantly. Because we, we were still doing convoys back then, which they don't even allow. Yeah, and, and you could have just been taken out by an RK, or an RPG, right? Is oh, that for what sure. They we, we were, uh, when hell? we were Is flying. that the right word, initials? Yeah, R- RPG. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when we were flying and we were flying, you had to fly in Blackhawks two by two. That you must know? have been cool. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as somebody that just like grew up idolizing my uncle, just being like, oh, I'm on Blackhawks and flying in all these. So cool did planes. you like trucks? I did like trucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I liked. You're a truck. Yeah. Uh, you're a Southern truck girl. I was into trucks. My dad had a, you know, a three on the tree. So that's how uh, I learned to drive. I learned on a, on a, on a, on a standard too. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't see fun. any. <laughs> My oh, dad that, the was grinding, not a good like, <laughs> yeah. 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 But I didn't see any point to, like, an automatic just didn't seem to, you know, require anything. I'm like, if I'm going to learn how to drive. And I yeah. had to drive a stick on a shoot recently. No. Did it you was, remember? Was it, it, like, just no, I could do it. muscle memory? But it was, like, this old fucking bug. And that's, no. like, the clunkiest of, you know, yeah. like. But, yeah, no, I did it. I did it. It was, you know, there's that, you know, you get in the hang of a clutch was, it comes back. It's muscle memory where yeah. you're like, uh-huh. no grinding, but a lot of accelerating to mm-hmm. catch it. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so you're, you're in a combat zone. Did, were there moments where you're like, you know, this is why I got into comedy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is just part of being a comic. Well, I mean, a big part of the reason that I wanted to go was because I grew up, you know, in Calhoun and we had recruiters in our lunchroom every day at school, in high school. Really? And it was kind of, um, the discussion was, would you like to be a factory floor manager or a hero? And so the- That was the pitch? Kind of. So you want to die or you want to just kind of have a job? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, no. Do you want to be a hero? Oh, but that's- Which doesn't imply death, No, I don't but think. it's in the spectrum. But if you do die, you know- you die a hero. You'll die a hero. Right. Um, hmm. Yeah, and your, so your you family know, will be proud of you. Right. If you die this way. Depends on so, how they you feel. You know, about whenever the war, they say yeah. that like, you know, there wasn't a you know, a draft yeah. for the Gulf Wars, I always feel like there kinda was. Did you, you know, know a lot of people that went? Oh yeah. So we the the brigade from Calhoun was stationed in Baghdad. And so a big part of the reason that I wanted to go out there was just to see them and to like see the guys from my hometown and just be like, Hi, please Guys you knew in high school? Yeah. Did that happen? Uh, you saw them? So we were scheduled to do a show. I found out where they were stationed. We were in the green zone. We were supposed to do a show there, and then they got bombed that day. And the and the road, sorry, the road that we were supposed to drive yeah. on in the convoy got bombed that day, and they yeah. said we couldn't go. And I found out weeks later that they had ordered all this barbecue for oh, for me and yeah. for the the whole group of comics that was coming out and then they just like put on a Chris Rock DVD at the end and that ate the barbecue yeah well who was on that like who were the comics that you were usually you did five tours 
I did a bunch. The only one you, I mean, it was Danny Bevins. I don't know if you knew Danny, John Bazaar, Dave Mashevitz, and me. It was just the four of us. That first one. That was the very first one. I don't know any of those guys. Yeah, was Keith Alberstadt. You did some a bunch with me. Um, was that? I feel like I know the name Danny Bevins. I can't quite. Yeah, play. he was out here for a while. I think he lives in Florida now. But like. And well, but it was this before it was a thing, you know, because uh-huh. like bigger names certainly started going. Yes, I think Jeff Ross and them had gone. That they were going with the USO. I went with a group called Comics on Duty. Uh, and it's just a ragtag operation. Just it, like, they specialize in going to FOBs, forward operating bases, because with the dangerous U- places. Yeah, forward operating base has about 150. That's people. so funny because uh, so there's two different bookers. It's like we can't get you on the USO tour, but uh, we got these one nighters. It's a little dicey. <laughs> the venue's a little dicey. Kinda, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> But more just like these are guys that never get comedy. The big bases where the USO would go always got stuff. right. So, but so the so it actually is like a a a one nighter in that the conditions are going to be different. Conditions are a lot different. The, you know, where they would build a stage and tear it down when we left. Right, and and it's not like you're not in a, uh, like any sort of out like a, a constructed theater. You could just be out sort of to the side of the base or in a in a mess hall or what? Oh no. No. You're you <laughs> are no a forward operating base. So there's a, a a giant base which would be Biop, like Baghdad International Airport. Okay. Right? So that's where all the big there's like thirty thousand people yeah. on that base. And then that base supplies the FOBs. And those FOBs are like hundreds of bases all around the country. Yeah. And they supply the the patrol base, which is ten guys on a patrol. Okay. So and those guys report back to the FOB, and the FOB just, like, keeps all those guys armed, and right. they keep them going. And right. then the main base is, like, you know, obviously that's a lot of times where the planes take off, and, like, people will come back for, like, you know, huge supplies. But yeah. it's really the biggest supply base. Right. You know, so, so it's basically l- the U.S., room. you know, it's like the UPS, the Amazon distribution center, yeah, and yeah. then you have all these tiny so, distributions. So you're doing shows for, like, sometimes 20 guys kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wild. And so they're, like, intimate. dirty with their face, you know, and, like, we would be on bases where there was no bathrooms. They just had pee tubes. Yeah. And then they we had to use wag bags because— It's a wag bag. It stands for waste okay. alleviation. Got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's uh, pretty gritty. Very gritty. So you how, would, that's why you would take the the Blackhawks to those small bases. That was the only way to get there, or you'd have to go through a convoy. That's crazy. Did, so you felt did you, you must have felt scared at some point. Yeah, because when we were flying to one of the bases, so when we were on biop, that was my my point was that like I kept asking where Saddam was, and they'd be like, "We can't tell you that." And then one guy was like, "You know, he just kind of nudged." to the right like it's in that building and 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 so when we were flying to one of the the we were we had just he was there left Diwania where you were yeah he was in a in a someplace near it's a heavy vibe right yeah oh we were in Diwania once which is you know where they would you know took us to Abraham's house from the bible because you know the middle of Baghdad, that's, I mean, the middle of Iraq, where the Tigris and the Euphrates meet, that's the Garden of Eden, right? That's right. where the early right. biblical times were all there. Were you brought up with a lot of religion? 
I was not brought up with religion. Oh, so it didn't really, you weren't like, oh my God. I started going to church. I tell a joke about it now, but I got yeah. kicked out of church several times around 13. Yeah. Because that was the first time I ever went. My parents never told me what religion they were. Yeah. Oh. They wanted me to decide who I was going to be for well, myself. that seems fairly progressive. Yep. Very progressive. Huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think it's because they disagreed and they didn't On want to. <laughs> On what? On religion and politics. They oh, really? still do. Yeah, yeah. Like what's what? My mom is more liberal. My dad is much more conservative. Uh-huh. Uh, my mom listens to podcast, like yeah. comedy podcasts yeah. all day. Yeah. And my dad watches Fox News. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So he's like just volunteering his brain mm-hmm. for that mess. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I think that they're they, still married. Oh, yeah. 50 something years. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. They li- yeah. My dad stays in his room. He has a little man cave. He watches all his stuff in there. Uh-huh. And my mom is in the living room or her sewing room. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Do they talk? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just oh, not yeah. about that. Nope. Just not about that. Uh, so wait. So were you getting at, like, did you feel like danger? Like, did yeah. You- so when we were flying to one of the... Uh, one of the shows yeah. in a Black Hawk, um, the flares went off, you know, and we were with this guy, Major Hater, and everybody called him Major Hated. And he goes, what was that? And we were like, you're in charge, dude. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And it was because we had radar lock on us from a RPG. Yeah. So what? the flares took the RPG instead. Oh, my yeah. God. And then you went back like a bunch of other times. Yep. Kept going. You felt it was, why? Because you, you got off on it? You felt it was your duty or you wanted to, was it a altruistic I just, thing? I felt very uh, rewarded. I, I feel like in comedy, you know, you get instant gratification when you get laughs. But for me, I I guess I just wanted it to mean more Yeah. in some respects. Sure. And when you do, you know, if I have a bad show at the comedy store, I'm like, whatever, I don't care. I'm never going to see those people again. If you have a bad show at a fob in Iraq, you're like, I just ruined that guy. Like, he was already having a bad week. Yeah, and, and, I, and just, I just tanked. I just tanked in front of a guy <laughs> yeah. that just needed it. You yeah. know, needed I to guess see when, something. I guess when you're woman. doing those shows, you can't really sort of turn on the audience. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, what's your yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are you from? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it also, it's a great challenge because you can't just do regular material. You know, you once you start doing material, you try to write material about them. Mm. Or you've got to figure out, oh, what material will work best for this situation? Because you can't be talking about... You know, how you're freezing and air conditioning in front of a bunch of guys that right, haven't right. had air conditioning. What's with these waste yeah. bags? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You wave it. Yes. <laughs> it's like billionaires doing comedy at a homeless shelter. You're oh, like, all right, yeah. I don't think we have the same. <laughs> how many years had you been in it when you started doing oh, that? Oh, not very many. Three years. So you're in Georgia. And what? What? how do you decide to do comedy? I mean, were you, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> you sound like my dad. <laughs> What happened? <laughs> uh, I actually moved. I I thought I was going to go into journalism. Uh, well, that sounds had, like something. We had, you know, CNN in Atlanta. So I thought I was oh, going right to do that. Oh, right there. So Big when, complex. When I started at UGA, I, I started at, in their journalism school. And then I found out that you had to write the news. And then it had to be serious. And <laughs> well, I thought, You just thought you were going to be on camera talking? I thought I was just going to read off a teleprompter. Yeah. I had no idea how So you didn't really want to be in journalism. You just wanted to be in broadcast personality. Yes, I really just wanted to read. Yeah. And then... Uh, and then I, when I moved to transfer to Georgia State, I was performing in Atlanta at theme parks uh, at Six Flags. What? I know. It was a whole thing. So I, I didn't have a social life. What do you mean performing? I was in the, the kids' uh, performing shows at so Six like Flags. So like acting? Yes. 
So I, I kind of grew up in theater, basically. I grew I was a th- I, I stopped playing sports about eighth grade, and I just got into theater. That's also why I started going to church, because mm-hmm. they I could do a play there at Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, you have no problem with shit gigs. No. With hell gigs. No. Yeah. And so, uh, but then, um, so anyway, I'm performing at Six Flags, transferred to Georgia State, and then that... That school, I, I started doing Album 88, which was their college radio station. And the college radio station, Album 88, in Atlanta was the largest student-run college radio station in the country. Yeah. 100,000 watts. You're on air? I'm on air. Um, and so uh, I, I initially started out doing the news because yeah. I was doing journalism, right? And that's where they were like, you you're you're can't make reader. jokes. And I mean, this is during the Clinton scandal, right? <laughs> yeah. This is like the Monica Lewinsky blowjob yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I, they go, you can't make jokes if the news is serious. And I was like, well, that's bo- – I don't want to do that. Yeah. They go, you can do the entertainment news if you want. Yeah. And then you can make all the jokes you want there. And I go, perfect, yeah. right? So yeah. then I start doing entertainment news and then my advice said, well, you could be a film major instead, and then you could really learn about the entertainment business yeah. through that. Yeah. And if you do that, you can minor in theater. And, and, and that's what you did? And that's what I did. So you, I switched it all to minor in theater. And study, film? Fi- theater film, and film. Was, was film. Was a film major like uh, how to make films or like film history stuff? Both. Huh. It was film history, documentary films. I made a documentary film in college. Made had to make several student films on... Um, Oh gosh, there were these old up? World War II cameras. Oh, terrible! One of them was backwards because I loaded the film wrong. You know, you had to load it in the dark, and you yeah. ordered film from Burbank out oh, here. Yeah, like the film days. Yeah, like hardcore film. They were there were these old Bell and Howell edit on those machines. Oh, where you cut it? Yeah, and you had to hang it all wow. up on a string. And um, God, you learned all this useless uh, knowledge. Yeah, completely now. useless. And then I'm so I studied theater abroad in Paris my senior year. Really. I studied at the Comédie de l'Art in the uh, in Paris. What did you learn? Uh, the, uh, clowning. Yes, clowning. Yes, you did. I did. I learned the art of clowning. You no, did? no, I did not. Uh, no, we just watched a, a lot and a lot of plays. Yeah. Oh, really? Went to a lot of. Do you speak French? Uh, no, I mean, I t- I learned French out there a little bit, but I didn't retain much. Oh, what's your what's English. your what's your old man do? My dad? Yeah. He was uh he worked for Pepperidge Farm most of his life. Pepperidge Farm? Mm-hmm. Like uh goldfish? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and cookies. Yep. Milanos? Yep. <laughs> Keep naming them. I know them all. Yeah. Sausalitas. Yeah. I mean it was What was it, the what was the one that wasn't that great that had the real thin wafers with the, the Brussels? Yeah, the Brussels. I love the Brussels. They're all right. I like the orange Milanos. Everybody liked the mint ones. And I was like, what? That's so gross. I still hate mint chocolate. I like the regular Milanos. And yeah. you could dip them in milk. Mm-hmm. And then the, then the chocolate would stay hard and mm-hmm. the outside would get mushy. That's why I was voted biggest brown noser in school because I always brought cookies for the teachers. Because oh, they like, would ask for them. And my dad had the truck at home. He started out as like a, a sales manager. He was gone Sunday through Thursday. And then... Pushing cookies? Yeah, I guess yeah. like he was managing all of the route drivers. The cookie basically. swinger. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and then we were looking at these like mansions in Atlanta one day. And the next thing I knew, we were poor. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and my dad quit so that he could quit drive Pepper's a truck. Farms. He bought a route. Okay. Yeah. Because he would, so he could stay home and coach my softball team and stuff. Oh, so he became an independent contract yeah. trucker? Basically, he so he bought the cookies from Pepperidge Farm and sold them to the grocery stores. Oh, he became his own distributor. So, but so he had within, managed all those routes. But is that so? He's right. no longer an employee of Pepperidge Farms. 
That, Correct. And, he okay. he bought like a franchise, basically. Interesting. Oh, I didn't and know they then, did that. That's how that works. Huh? So it took years for him to pay that off. Yeah. And the truck. Yeah, the truck and the yeah. business itself, because yeah. you have to buy the route. Yeah. From another person. Okay. Uh, I had no idea that they had franchises, franchise mm-hmm. routes. But yeah, of when you that see like sense. those like Frito Lay trucks. So that was probably something where Pepperidge Farms realized, like you know, we don't have to own these trucks anymore. We can just contract out this stuff. Yeah, must huh. have been. I don't. I don't know when that happened, but yeah. that's what he did. And um, your mom, what did she do? She worked at a plant. She was like an office a manager plant? at a plant. Yeah, a, like, uh, a general plant. She moved initially. We moved to Georgia because my mom worked for a company in in Livermore or in Hayward. I yeah. don't remember where. Um, called Needlecraft. Yeah, and it was all those the company that would give you a design to do needlepoint. Yeah. or sure. yarn. Wow, art. Yeah. And they offered her a job in Dalton, Georgia, which was just north of Calhoun. You know, you realize that some somewhere that has to get made. Yeah. But then, like, when you realize there's a plant, you're like, man, more people are doing that than I thought. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then she ended up retiring with a company called Henkel. Henkel. Henkel, which was, um, you know, they make the knives and stuff. But that her particular company. Henkel Knives? Henkel, yes. Yeah. okay. Uh, and so... Her particular company made all the chemicals that go on metal to treat metal to keep it from rusting. So specific. Yeah. yeah. I bet someone's got to do it. And they supplied the Mercedes-Benz plant in Cartersville or someplace. So that was so. a big deal. It was a big deal. So there they, was uh, not enough. In the, the knives were not keeping it going. Mm-mm. So she just retired maybe five, six years ago. So it's interesting that you actually had parents where there would be take-home stuff, like cookies, needlepoint patterns. And chemicals. <laughs> Yeah, and non-rusty chemicals. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was so it was a that, lot. Well, that's interesting. So yeah. it's, it's not, not not military, just kind of like working people. Mm-hmm. Both and, of them worked. And, yeah, and you're running around doing theater. Mm-hmm. They and, always came to my plays. And, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. This my dad actually. My dad's a really incredible carpenter. Uh, he could he because he took you know those classes and he yeah. can just look at something and build it. So when I was in art classes, I said, oh, I want an art desk. And he goes, well, show me a picture, one that you want. And then I would show him a picture, and then he'd <laughs> build it in a week, you know? <laughs> so he built all the sets for my plays, and my mom made all the costumes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's so sweet. So this, sweet. This is like, a, it's, not, I, it's not a gothic southern tale. No. Nope. It's a, a very they were, pleasant. They were very involved. They're, like, very loving and caring. And yeah. you would never expect me to get into comedy because I didn't really have a lot to complain about. I make no, them sound. No, but I mean, sound. but you f- had the freedom of mind to make a choice. Could do whatever I wanted. Yeah. yeah. And so when I said I want to move to L.A. and be an actress, they said, all right, we'll so give, that we'll was give the you intention. directions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also we have this old uncle. Yeah, but also like I, I was born there, so it's not like the, some sort of foreign right, right, place. Right. I yeah, mean, yeah. Huntington Beach is not exactly L.A., but right. I did have a place to stay while yeah. I looked for a place. And... Yeah, it's kind of weird, though, when you—because the first time I came to L.A. was after college, and, you know, you find that place or whatever, but then you realize you, you do walk outside, and you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? Where am I? <laughs> How does this even work? Where's the place where I go? Uh-huh. It's yeah. the fucking worst. It was— uh... It was pretty intense because I, I lived in Sherman Oaks. That was the very first place I lived, a little apartment in Sherman Oaks. Oh, yeah. With some, uh, yeah, with like three other people. When was that? Um, 2001. Yeah. Yeah, because you get out here and it's just like, you don't, how do you even begin? I kind of buckled. I, didn't, I couldn't pull it together the first time. I ended up living at the comedy store. And uh, <laughs> Really? Yeah. 
like living and you Basically. were the ones that you, you used the showers in the main room? No, that was Don Barris, I think. But I, <laughs> no, I lived in Crest Hill. I lived in the house that she owned. Oh, mm-hmm. You know, and I was a, you know, door guy and a phone guy mm-hmm. and a, you know, drove guys to the airport and I would just, like, I was always there. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to be the work at the door. Really? At the time. Who was there when you, was it Tommy? Tommy was there when I started and, and I wasn't allowed to work the door because they said only men could work the door. And That's because it was so dumb. It's so better now with re- actual security. Like back oh, then it sure. was just like, you know, comics. You guys that, had to throw people out. You're yeah, like, we oh. didn't though. I know. It was sort of like you're going to be a bunch of comics. You're yeah. going to be security. It was ridiculous. It, it was crazy. But that all came from Argus beating or from, um, oh gosh. Uh, Sam. Sam being up Argus. Yeah. And then Mitzi was like, only men can work the door. Oh, really? I didn't even know that little chunk of history. Yeah. And then only women, women. Sam, the story is that Argus was attacking Mitzi. Yes, they were both a little high on blow. Yeah, and Sam pulled him off and beat Uh him up. Beat him up. And that that got Sam the management job in Westwood. (laughs) Did it really? I think so. I didn't know that part. (laughs) I believe that that guy, you know, Sam was this weirdo that, you know, used to go on last. And I think that that heroic turn, she stuck him out in Westwood and he, he was the guy out there. I oh, think. wow. Amazing. Yeah. But then I also couldn't be a waitress because Sammy had cheated on Mitzi with a blonde waitress that did comedy. So I couldn't be really? a waitress and do comedy because I was also blonde. And this, who was telling That's you this, Tommy? Eleanor was allowed. Uh, you know that it's it wasn't it just, just came Tommy. Down it was the you know I started the comedy store in two thousand and I started going there to do. I didn't start stand up till two thousand three, two years after I moved to. So LA. sort of the dark times there. Really dark times. But okay, so you come out to be an actress. How's that pan out? Have, I couldn't catch a cold. I, I mean, get, I couldn't do anything. Did you get your pictures and everything? I did. Oh gosh, yes. I, I had. Well, I got some headshots <laughs> in Atlanta. Wait, I will. I'll send you a picture okay, of the headshot right. I yeah, took yeah. in Atlanta because it looks like tonight's top story. Yeah. But I. Uh, but I. I. Yeah. So I moved out to be an actress. I started doing extra work to get my SAG card. That's where I was on September 11th. I was on a show with uh, Selma um, Hayek. No, uh, Blair Cela Ward. Oh, Cela Ward. Oh, yeah. Cela Ward yeah, yeah, yeah. called Once and Again, I think. Yeah. Uh, at this uh, little high school on like I think it was Fair Robertson and the Ten. They were shooting at the high school. We were shooting at the high when school when the planes hit the building. And I heard. Well, I I just was driving there and I heard somebody on the radio say we were under attack. Yeah. But it was. Um, Oh, the guy that died, uh, Rush Limbaugh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the guy that died. You know yeah, the guy yeah. that died. Sure, sure. <laughs> I, I have a few other ways I could describe him. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. So the, the death drug addict saying, blowhard. Yeah, because he was like, we're under attack. Who, I was like, well, we, we're probably country. not. Yeah. He so, always thought we were under attack. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I'm like, with what this yeah. time? And so, but then when I got to set, that's when it all, then they sent us all home. And I remember oh. driving back through downtown LA and there was no one there. Wow. It was so eerie driving the- I was, in New, I was in New York. Oh, you I was, were? Yeah. It was, it was insane that day. Wow. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, just insane. So anyway- and that's I when got, you decided to not, to be a comic? Was yes. I was day? like, there's so much more funny stuff to talk about. <laughs> now I have material. This is the first thing I'm going to start with. Uh, no, no, no. But I- I uh, I started stand up on a dare because I was DJing weddings and bar mitzvahs because I had worked in radio in Atlanta. <laughs> How'd you get into that racket? You met somebody as an extra who pulled you in. I was an ad in the newspaper, like backstage West, looking for wedding DJs and um, like a, a, a prom a, DJs. Oh, like a booking agency. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they uh, 
So they, you know, I did like high school dances and all this stuff or weddings, you know, would teach the electric slides, stuff like that. Uh-huh. And this guy that I was DJing with, this guy Poetry, who was who did Russell Simmons' Deaf Poetry Jam, yeah, kept saying like, you're so funny, you're so funny. And yeah. I had never heard that. Yeah. I mean, I was always making fun of people growing up, but in, in the South, people would be laughing, but they'd be like, that's not funny. Right. That's not funny. And I had interviewed several stand-ups that had come through the punchline on the radio station. In fact, Mitch Hedberg was the first person to ever give me tickets to a show. And people always say, oh, is that when you started comedy? Was that like, but not a great interview, I would imagine. It was actually a great interview. Oh, really? He was, uh, he was engaged? He was so engaged. Oh, good. Gave us tickets to the show. And people say, you know, is that why you yeah. started? And I go, well, you don't see Mitch Hedberg and go, oh, I can do that. Like, I, I was just like, I have no idea. <laughs> a lot if this of people works. did, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of Hedbergs running around for a couple of years. Yeah, I'm sure. But I just didn't think about it. Yeah. And then my friend Poetry was kept telling me to do it and like wouldn't let up. And I, you know, saw an ad. I, I remember being at, in my studio apartment on Laurel Canyon in Burbank. Mm. Seeing a news story about a guy who shot himself in the head with a nail gun and he didn't feel he worked all day, didn't notice. It was just stuck in there. Yeah. Yeah. And then I wrote this joke about how I wouldn't be able to feel three and a half inches if I got nailed. So what's the big deal? And that was the first <laughs> joke I had. <laughs> that was that was dirty. <laughs> You're Sarah. my target audience. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I did this show at the Hotwire, a little open mic at the Hotwire Cafe on Laurel Canyon and Riverside. Yeah. Nick Youssef ran it. He's a sweet guy. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, before he was 21, he was probably 20 years old. I was 24, yeah. 25. And um, it got a laugh, and then I was kind of hooked, and then it took me months to write another one. Did it? <laughs> to write another good one yeah, that got yeah. laughs. But I was hooked, and I, and I had just gone through a breakup, so I was really needing to get out and do something. It was just, you know, perfect timing. There's and a community. Never stopped. Yeah. yeah. Uh, instant family. That's, that's how it happens. You're like, mm-hmm. that's the best thing that could happen. Yeah. And I think it, like by, when you started, it was more possible, you know, you know, because when I was doing it, there was no, uh, none of those kind of shows where no, a comic just mics. ran a play. Well, they were at the club. Yeah. They, it was the comedy club had the open mic on Sunday or Monday or whatever yeah. it was. And yeah. there was a community, but it was all sort of the club based. Yeah. There was no kind of room you could just go to. God, that's crazy. To do comedy. Yeah. You know, and by the time you started, they were all over the place. And they still are kind of, but that didn't exist. Like, if you wanted to be a stand-up, you had to go fucking ingratiate yourself to whatever club in the towns you were working at. But yeah. uh, But so when you were in, you did you go to the punchline a lot? Uh, not a lot. No, I wasn't, I didn't really care about, I never watched stand-up growing up. I never watched, my parents didn't watch. I remember seeing Roseanne and Paula Poundstone and Ellen a lot because my mom loved them. Live, Uh, you mean? Or just on TV? No, just on TV. Um, but you know, when I started stand-up or when my friend Poetry told me to start stand-up, I said, oh, I can't do stand-up. I don't have a sitcom. Yeah. I thought you had to have a sitcom first Mm. and then you could do stand-up. What's poetry up to? No idea. No <laughs> idea. Maybe changed his name back. I don't know. I think he's probably. I hope he's still doing poetry. He was very good at yeah. it. I mean, he did. Well, that was a whole thing for a minute. The poetry, the slam, slam. poets. Yeah. I mean, that's why he was on that first tour with Russell yeah, yeah, Simmons. Yeah. It was kind of engaging. I, I like watching. He was it. the funny yeah. one. He had a funny one about Michael Jackson. I oh, remember. Yeah. And then, yeah. I mean, I don't know. And then I, I mean, stand up just became this thing that I thought would be a fun hobby and. But then I gave up on L.A. I, I thought I was going to move home. Yeah. I had my bags packed. How and, was that day? What happened? 
I was just so frustrated, just couldn't depressed. get anywhere, depressed. Yeah, it was right, you know, that between, Out in Sherman Oaks. between two and three year mark yeah. in Los Angeles. I always say it takes- make a break. Yeah. Yeah. And I packed my bags. What were you doing for a day job? Uh, I I think I was still doing extra work and, and then the DJing. Okay, yeah. And then my mom, you know, I said I was going to move to Wilmington, North Carolina because they shot Dawson's Creek there. I wasn't going to move home. That was quitting. But I would move to- you know, to Wilmington, North Carolina. At to Dawson Creek? <laughs> I just thought that that's what I would do instead. <laughs> There's show business there. Yeah. yeah. And I had just been doing stand-up for a little while. Wasn't yeah. like really thinking this is what I'm going to do for my life. And I, I was tired from packing and I went to the Sherman Oaks Galleria to watch a movie. But the movie I wanted to watch wasn't playing. Oh, shit is not working out. Mm-hmm, but Jerry Seinfeld's movie Comedian was playing. Uh-huh. And I said, oh, I've done some stand-up. I'll go watch this. Right. And everyone was laughing, and I was crying. <laughs> and I went home, and I unpacked, and I said, I'm going to stay, and I'm going to give it a shot. And I started going to open mics every day, just like, you, you know. You locked in. You're I like, locked I'm gonna, in, yeah. and then everyone was like, and don't go I, to the comedy store because they hate women. And I thought, well, you shouldn't have told me that. Now I'm only going to go to the comedy store. Yeah. And after all, like, imagine you actually, now you get to see Orny Adams occasionally. <laughs> You, my hero. I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, <laughs> I've never to told him that story. And if I did, he would probably you never be hear so the end mad. Of it. I would, yeah, he'd he'd never talk to me again. No, that's right. He, <laughs> believe me, he can. Which take wouldn't it. be terrible. You know? He's all right. I, I interviewed him. <laughs> I mean, know. just Barry Katz in that movie oh, say, Barry talking Katz. to did Shapiro. You get to meet Barry Katz? Oh yes. Yeah. What a what, you've really lived it. Yeah, I mean, I well, the very first time I ever talked to him, I told him that uh, he did everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and that he didn't focus on strengths. He just tried to make people famous instead of making them funny. Yeah, and now where is he? Uh, he's sending out a newsletter for sure. But I just always remember, I get his newsletters. I remember him saying, you know, oh, hey, George, I heard George signed Orny Adams. What's next, the parrot from Beretta? Uh, <laughs> and I just I, always you, laughed at that line. Yeah, you, got, you don't have to tell me about Barry Katz. He gave me my first jobs. <laughs> he did? Yeah, in Boston. Yeah, when he was in Boston, yeah. he used to run a booking agency and manage people. And yeah, he gave me, he's like, oddly, he's, uh, he's the one who gave me a lot of my uh, initial work when I started doing stand-up. I met him. I mean, I've done, I did Jay Moore's radio show a lot because I do so much in sports. Yeah. And, uh, and so... I, I met him a lot doing that show. Oh yeah, I really talked to him, and I I had a like oh, so more that was early on. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean this. I mean this was probably like eight years ago. Not, yeah, not you know. I mean on. Barry's not without a heart. Not a great dresser, but um, <laughs> he used to have us on his when he was doing no. a podcast. When he's having doing a podcast, I swear to God. He had me and Burr on at different times, and we just shit on him to his face. <laughs> yeah, for an hour, and yeah. he loved it. <laughs> he loved it. You know, comedy business does not, uh, it's not the most fashion forward business, I would say. Believe me, I, I have an entire career of bad outfit decisions. <laughs> <laughs> you can look at the history of Marin on Conan O'Brien, <laughs> and we can talk about the leather pants decision. Oh. Yeah, oh yeah, I really pushed the envelope. <laughs> I've 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 always been a person that sort of if I have to be on TV, I'll go buy something and wear it, something I've never worn before. Ever. Yeah. And think it's a good idea. It was only. <laughs> Why do you do that? Because my, I have three shirts. Sure. So like the uh, one special, the, the one before the uh, last one, 
not the one before the new one, two specials ago, I'm like, I'm just going to wear my shitty L.L. Bean chamois because <laughs> I want to be comfortable. And it looked terrible. <laughs> and then the next special, I bought a vest that I only wore once mm-hmm. on that special. So you're saying you should not executive produce your own special. Well, no, just get a fucking dresser, a wardrobe person. You don't have a wardrobe person for those? No, I did this last one okay. for Bleak from Bleak okay. to Dark. I finally, okay. after, you know, at age 58, <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should hire someone to fucking dress me for my television show. It's amazing how you can be so self-reflective in so many different parts of your life. But when it comes to something like that, it's the last thing that I think about. The last thing I, mm. I mean, I think. That's maybe that's pretty rare for a woman because I feel like a lot of women definitely think about their clothes first, but I, I don't think about my clothes. What happens? How do you get into the store? You just you just you start going. Up. Yeah, and I I kind of took Chelsea Handler's approach. You know, she would just she said, you know, don't just go be funny and leave, and eventually they'll ask you to stay, and uh, and that's what I did. I, I ran rooms with Jerome Cleary mm. up in the belly room for years. I remember that guy. So after I, I mean, I went through the the, pot, the open mic phase, yeah. and then you run your, you do a bringer show phase, and then I ran out of people to bring. At the time, I was working at the four in the belly seat. room. That's the way it worked. Is no, no, you? no, just in comedy oh, oh, in, in general. general. Yeah, okay. Uh, and I, and I was working at the Four Seasons, um, which was a great gig because I could wait tables all day. I, I worked the early morning shift. I worked there when Sebastian worked there, but he worked at the bar downstairs. And I, I know. I remember one pool. time I I went for a meeting there mm-hmm. and he was the waiter and mm-hmm. it was that that horrible awkward moment because i knew him yeah. from the store i'm like hey man He's like, hey yeah and uh that's over who's laughing now <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean uh yeah so i mean i but i worked at the pool from like seven to three and then i could shower there and go straight out and do comedy right and um so i had uh, you know but i had that gig too we, we got free hotel nights so if i ever did the road i had Free hotels. Oh, really? They had nice. <laughs> uh, affiliate, affiliated. Oh, yes. Oh, Any great. first seasons in oh, the really? world. Yeah. Free nights. I mean, you had to build, you had, you only had so much a year. Right. But I didn't do but the road came, very much. But yeah. Came in handy. So I was doing the store. I mean, I was, I was, then after your bringer shows, you run rooms. Yeah. And to trade. And yeah. so I ran a show at Big Wang's for a long time. Yeah. I ran a show, then I ran a show at the Lucky Strike Bowling Alley. Yeah. Uh, during the last comic standing years, uh, where we would have all the people from last comic go up. So you're a I, real producer. The yeah, then the unknown, and then I also ran a show on Friday nights at the comedy store, and so that was kind of how I started really meeting people at the comedy store and hanging out and and getting to know people. And then I started, I came to start doing the open mics there, and they go, you know, you've been here for years at this point, like you can just do friends and family. And I was like, really? I had no, you know, no yeah. idea. And then eventually got passed in 2009. By Adam? Nope, by Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I showcased for Mitzi several times. When she was still yep. there? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was there with, like, me, Damien, Merlina, Justin Martindale were all around the same class mm. of comics uh, that got passed around the same time. Neil Brennan got passed around the same time. I The same, same time, because we got our names put on the same day. I was, like, I got, like... I have a convoluted tale of getting past there, but yeah. like I didn't get my name on the wall until 2002 or something. Oh, really? Yeah. How long had you been past there? Well, I was an unpaid regular when I was a doorman, but then like, you know, oh. I got dr- fucked up on drugs and I left for years and started my career. And then I was doing, I think I was working for Comedy Central at the Aspen Comedy Festival <laughs> in 95 doing sort of like, you know, man with a mic shit. Mm-hmm. And I saw Mitzi and I'm like, Mitzi, do you remember me? 
can and? I can I be a regular? And she's like, yeah. So I, you know, so I was like, I'm a regular now, but I wasn't even living in L.A. And then when I finally got back to L.A. in like 2002, like somehow my the myth of me it preceded me because I had written about the comedy store in a, a book I wrote, mm-hmm. and like people kind of associated me with this time with Kennison and stuff. And oddly, you know, Tommy was like, "Oh yeah, you know, you're you're in, and no problem, of course." <laughs> but it was Duncan that finally got my fucking name on the wall. Oh, interesting. When he was Booker, yeah. And, and like you know, he was in charge of like you know, putting the names on the wall. And I'm like, "Can I get my name on the wall?" He's like, "Yeah, man, <laughs> Duncan." <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> okay, yeah, that was. And that, yeah, that's a long, long, long journey to the wall. That is a long journey. But I remember coming back here and, and starting to do spots there, and I still was had kind of like PTSD from when I was a uh, you know door guy there, and so mm-hmm. fucked up, and, and my brain was all fucked up. Took a while to kind of get comfortable in those rooms, really. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I, there was something very intimidating about the OR because you couldn't see people. Like, I remember um, that's the one thing I, I, and I still don't love that. Really? Uh, when, not that room, because you can kind of see people uh-huh. now. Yeah, it depends. A little bit. Uh-huh. But I just remember being up there and being like, oh my God, I'm just floating. But like, <laughs> if I have to do a gig where I can't see any of the audience, I make choices. You know, like, can I see like two rows, please? Because yeah. I don't like talking to nothing. Sure. I do. You do? <laughs> like the Laugh Factory is really hard for me. It's a little too bright. Yeah, I never go in there. I don't feel like people, I feel like the only reason that I enjoy it is not for my own my own sake, but I feel like people feel more comfortable laughing in the dark. Huh. The same way that people feel more comfortable dancing with the lights down. Sure. They feel less vulnerable that people are watching oh, what they laugh at. I always end up locking in on one person. It's a lot for them. <laughs> It's a lot. See, I never talk to anybody. I don't ask them any questions. No, I don't ask them. Do I'm just, anything. for some reason, I just find myself, instead of looking out, I just look at that guy. <laughs> and then eventually, I'm, he's like, why are you? Interesting, yeah. But I don't talk to him, but I do, I do, yeah, somehow do that. I should probably do that. I don't find myself looking at anyone in particular. Well, that's good. Look, that's better. over them. I do that more now. Like, I've been very aware mm-hmm. to not, to barely look at the audience. Sometimes I'll turn my back. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still in a phase. I'm going through a phase now where I feel I still feel very vulnerable. I don't feel I I feel like my reputation amongst the people who work there is higher than I have of myself. The opinion they have of me is higher than the opinion I have of myself. So I feel this need to impress them. Sure. Yeah. For some reason, yeah. and I like, oh, I don't have enough good stuff. I don't have new stuff, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Or when somebody in the audience that goes, "Oh, I'm so excited! I came here just to see you." I go, yeah. "Oh, great." Yeah, you know, I, I know that feeling. I, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm going to disappoint, disappoint yeah, somebody. Nah, I'm already here. I'm, I know I'm going to disappoint myself. Uh, I don't want to disappoint anybody. Well, what else. are you going to do about that? I don't know. I'm hoping to just keep working through it. You know, um, alcohol usually helps. <laughs> 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 yeah, I I don't know. I I, know. I think it just I, I I don't I don't really I I have muscles that do that because I used to be that way. Yeah. Sort of like I you know I'm still weird when people come off stage in the main room like they're great. I'm like no oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna ruin it. Great. Yeah. So now nope. they're expecting something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here it comes. Yeah, I still do that. Debbie Downer. Yeah, yeah I know you just. I mean, you you're always just chasing that last high, that last moment of of real, you know. I, I power. but I don't feel that that's what it is for me. I feel like you, you know because of my self image, yeah. Like I assume they're going to feel the same way about me. 
Like, I don't like it. I don't feel like I'm chasing a high. I just feel like, well, I'm different than the rest of them. Yeah. Like, I do this type of thing that I do. I know it's not for everybody. And now they've all had, you know, these kind of like, hey, we're just having a, a good time. And I'm like, I'm going to talk about some stuff mm-hmm. that it's not, it's not, I'm not particularly fun oriented. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, but it's, a, it's it comes and goes. I know. I mean, and I, I, you know, I just did this event in Kansas City called the Big Slick, which is this huge charity event for this children's hospital in Kansas City, and it's all these superstar celebrities. It's, you know, it's like Jason Sudeikis, Paul Rudd, Eric mm. Stone Street, you know, mm-hmm. Riggle, Heidi Gardner, Keckner. Yeah, they do this huge event at the T-Mobile Arena in Kansas City, and every year I'm like, they're not going to ask me to perform again. There's no way they're going to ask me to perform yeah. again. It was like I did a great job last year. I couldn't believe I did such a good job. Yeah. And then the next year, I'm like, well, now what am I? Then, you know, more and more people are like, oh, we're so excited to see you. I'm like, oh, it's way different. It's like worse than the military shows because I'm like, if I disappoint them, like maybe I can live with it. If I disappoint, (laughs) you know, these people, it might ruin my career. No, but the thing is, is like all of that, like most people know the game and you're projecting all that. Like most of the time when you're like, oh, that sucked. They're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh. (laughs) You just like got to suck it up. In fact, I posted a clip the other day that yeah. they sent me of me because I was roasting some of the athletes that were at the show that we were at. And Jason was talking on to me on the mic yeah. like, oh, yeah, that was good yeah. the whole time. I never even heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're just like I never even... on fire inside thinking like, what? Well, I there they, they came a point in one at one part of the show where I, I was expecting everyone to on stage. There's 40 celebrities there yeah. just to just be talking and like yeah. not listening. And there was one part in the show where I stopped, where I normally pause, and it was so quiet <laughs> in the arena <laughs> yeah. that I immediately Jeff like recoiled. Because <laughs> I go, oh, God, people are actually listening to me. And now what am I going to do? Yeah. And I just kept moving forward. And How'd it go? Good. It went good. Yeah. But you did a lot of stuff. I mean, you were like a regular on the Chelsea Lately show. Mm-hmm. You seem to write for people. You seem to like whether it's stand up or just doing the other work in show business, you're doing it all. I genuinely like writing jokes for other people. If yeah. I could just do that, yeah. I would be pretty fulfilled. You Unfortunately, can't do it now. Can't do it right now. Yeah. yeah. But I but I do find you know, writing on, you know, Lights Out with David Spade. David yeah. was one of my favorite bosses I've ever had. He's great. He's so great yeah. and so just self-deprecating. Just yeah. we have the same kind of comedy, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, he's way better at it than me, but like I just really clicked with him, you know, locked in with like his sense of humor immediately. He's got that he's he's like got a Teflon thing where like even if he's sucking, he can make it fun. <laughs> oh yes. Yes. <laughs> like the self-reflection <laughs> monologue that goes on when he's trying new stuff. Oh yeah. Where he's like, "Ah, oh, that didn't Land at yeah. all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Beep bop boop. You know, he'll just like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. but he's just, I could, I could just watch him. Yeah. He's very funny. All day. Yeah. So tell me about this new special so people go watch it. I mean, it came out a little while ago. Yeah. But. It came out earlier this year. It's called 44. I taped it last year at the comedy store. I mean, a lot of it is material about myself that I needed to retire. Mm. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot about being Why are you a new really mom. selling this? <laughs> 
talk a lot. I, know. <laughs> I talk a lot about being a new mom and just growing up in the South and Cracker Barrel. This, you know, it's like it's it was a really high honor for me to do it because it's one of the first specials the comedy stores produced themselves. Yeah. Oh, good. And and uh, it was their big first endeavor into doing it, and it was a real honor for them. They. They chose me and Justin Martindale to do ours at the, on the same night, so they taped them separately. Oh, that's fun, because and, and you guys are of the same class. Yeah, so, yeah. It, you know, and they put a little uh, clip at the end of my one of my sets from the comedy store. Like potluck or yeah, something? Yeah, like, probably early on, like 2009, so, fifth, you know, 14 wow. years ago. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. such a baby and yeah. wearing a dress still. Well, I always dressed up when I did the main room. Yeah, that's over. Yeah. Now, uh, post-COVID. Before COVID, I still was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Post-COVID, I'm just like, no, yeah. I have to wear things that are comfortable now. I'm like, I was too conditioned to be yeah, comfortable sure. for two years. So, um, yeah, I mean, it goes all into my family. It's called 44 because I was 44 when I taped it. And Hank Aaron's number is 44. Yeah. And I'm a huge Hank Aaron Braves fan. And, and eventually Adele will make an album. Yes, that will be 44. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I want to be like that. I want to only release yeah. stuff every yeah. three to five years. I want them to still be special. Oh, good. Well, <laughs> I I always like seeing you and I always enjoy watching you. Thank you. And I'm glad we uh, finally got to do this. I know. I'm so honored. Oh. I'm such a, I mean, I'm such a huge admirer of you and your work. And oh, I find it, I mean, even when you just, we have a conversation in the back in the main room, I'm honored that you would even <laughs> want to just like have any kind of conversation with me. Well, I'm always intimidated because I don't know anything about sports. I, uh, yeah. The, the last conversation was just me going like, I don't know. I, I <laughs> so many people tend to walk out, especially when Bill and I start arguing about Burr, yeah, yeah sports. Oh yeah, because they you know you he thinks are... he's right because he's louder. Yeah, that's that's his whole act. <laughs> yeah, his entire social. Yeah. God forbid you raise your voice. Like there was one time we got into an argument because what are you yelling at me for? I'm like, are you are you kidding? Me? Well, you started at a ten. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys get into it about something you know. Not personal, necessarily. Oh, yeah. No, no. It's never personal. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll see you over there. I'll see you over there. Thank right. you. Sarah Tiana, folks. The new special, 44, is available to watch on YouTube. Hang out for a minute. Hey, Full Marin subscribers have another batch of producer cuts to listen to this week. That's exclusive stuff that wasn't in the regular episodes, as well as some previews of yet-to-be-released episodes, like my talk with Oscar winner Jessica Chastain. It started, I think, because I didn't have a lot of energy. I wasn't feeling well. And then a friend of mine, who is a famous actress... Uh, you can mention her name. <laughs> okay, Michelle Williams. <laughs> um, we did on Play Together, and she had this uh, two-week food delivery program yeah. that they gave her at some award show and then yeah. she was going to use it so she gave it to me and it was vegan food and so, that was it yeah and so that it was, was just, it and you wait so you felt better like the energy thing resolved yeah, itself i mean not only was it vegan it was like raw vegan which that was rough crazy that was crazy and yeah. i did like a week in the first week i was just so pissed off all the time and i just yeah. felt like what is this yeah and then the second week it felt like i was high <laughs> really i was like all of a sudden i was like yeah man i just felt so happy and calm and cool yeah and then um so yeah i then i finished the two weeks and did I, that high last till now <laughs> to hear those producer cuts and all the bonus episodes we release every week, subscribe to The Full Marin by going to the link in the episode description or go to WTFPod.com and click on WTF Plus.
Next week, we have Killian Murphy from Oppenheimer on Monday and comedian Mike Rowe on Thursday. I got to pull another guitar riff from the vault because I'm busy. I can't sit here for 45 minutes and figure out a riff today. Sorry, but you won't know the difference. But you will because I just told you. Angels everywhere.